0: Well, we are continuing in our series in Ephesians. We'll be looking at the beginning of chapter three this morning. The, uh, the scripture reading as well as the uh, outline is there in your bulletin for you to take notes. We're going to be looking at the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter three. I mean the first 13 verses of Ephesians chapter three. Um, give ear now. This is God's word. "'For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ.' which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me Through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, I'm sorry, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And for this reason, I kneel before the Father. This is God's Word. Well, now, if you were going to change the world, change it so that everything was the way it was supposed to be, make everything right, what would you do? I mean, this is really where God, this is the situation that God's in, right? God has big plans for the future of our world wonderful plans that are filled with happiness, joy, love, mercy, justice, communities. He has plans ultimately to merge heaven and earth. So you can't tell the difference between heaven and earth. But look at the world today. How's God doing? What would you do? Where would you start? It's interesting because God is committed to seeing the world change through people through people from the beginning god has delegated much of his authority to men and women so that we might implement his vision for the world but what do you do if the people that you hire to do a job fail and then even make the situation worse how many of you have had that experience at work right where someone's hired to do something and they actually make it worse well This is really the situation in very broad-brushed strokes of the Old Testament. God called Israel as a nation, and then Israel sort of goes sideways with their call to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And so God's reputation is in jeopardy. What would you do? Well, God didn't give up on people. Even though they were in a failing rut, God is sticking with people like us. He still committed. God's response when his people weren't following through was to change one person and then use that one person to change the rest. But he didn't just choose one person. It wasn't just any person that he chose. He had to pick just the right person. And so God chose the person that no one would pick. He chose the person who would never turn around on his own, never change on his own. God picked the person who was so far gone, who was so out there, and he did it so that when that person changed, everyone would know that God was the one who did it and that God is real and that God was the reason why it happened. The person that God picked was Paul. It was Paul. Out of the group of people who had lost their way, God picked Paul, the most arrogant, the most belligerent, the most exclusionary person he could find. And he revealed to Paul a secret that has changed the course of human history. He revealed to Paul a secret that birthed a plan that is fixing everything that is wrong with the world. Everything that's wrong. Everything that's wrong. Everything that's wrong wrong in the world, everything that's wrong in your life, Everything that's wrong in my life, this secret fixes it. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. We're going to see it in three points this morning, okay? There's three points. Let me give them to you first. We're going to see first, God's man. We're going to see second, God's secret. And then third, God's plan. So first, God's man. Verse 1, Paul makes an autobiographical turn in the letter. He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... So Paul's in prison when he's writing this. I don't know if you knew that. Well, how did he get there? How did this happen? Well, it started when Paul was actually putting Christians into prison. Okay, he was busy. He was fighting against the newly formed Christian church. He was arresting and then torturing Christians, claiming that they were destroying the Judaism that he was devoted to. And while Paul was traveling to a city called Damascus, He had just gotten authority from the higher-ups that he could capture Christians in the city of Damascus and then drag them to Jerusalem so they could be sentenced and punished. And while he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him from heaven, and everything changed. Paul came to grips with the reality that the Jesus, whose reputation and whose followers he was trying to snuff out, was in fact the Jewish Messiah and the Savior of the world. Everything changed. This is almost like so many who have set out to disprove Christianity. And then when they look at the evidence, they actually become convinced by it, and they become Christians. Right? C.S. Lewis is one, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel. And their books we have, as we watch them, describe their sometimes their vitriol against the church, their anger with Christians and with Jesus. And as they study the evidence, it turns them. Well, I said it's kind of like that. Paul wasn't looking at the evidence; he was busy doing—he was busy at war with the church—and yet God got a hold of him. And once that happened, Paul began to preach to people about the Jesus that he had been trying to refute. You know, and so we could come up with some pretty good analogies, but the one I thought it would be like—it would be like if Bill Gates shows up on TV and he's got an iBook and an iPhone. Right? You'd think, hold on a second, something's wrong here. Right? Something's drastically wrong, and that's what happened in the church. The first Christians were thinking, "Okay, wait, wait, hold on. This Paul guy—he was the one that was pulling us out of our homes and dragging us and beating us and imprisoning us. This is probably some covert way to to infiltrate us, so that he can find out who we really are and grab the leaders." And and so Paul had to overcome this, but he was preaching it, and he was preaching it so much that Paul's former Jewish friends began to persecute him, like he had persecuted others. They had him arrested and beaten. And put in jail. And so here we have Paul. Paul is now in Rome, in jail. But even in jail, he's encouraging the churches. He's encouraging people to stay faithful. He's still praying for the churches. This is God's man. This is God's man. And Paul reminds them in verse 5 that he is an apostle. He says, "...it's now been revealed by God's Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets." This was Paul's office in the church. This was the office that he was called to. Now, the word apostle is a Greek word. It's a Greek version of a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is shaliach. Shaliach was an office in the Jewish legal system. And if you were a shaliach of someone, you had the legal power to represent somebody else. Okay, and so like power of attorney would be one example of that today. An ambassador um, also is a picture of that for today you would regard the shaliach as the person himself okay now that's what apostles were that's what the what the term apostle means if you were an apostle of Jesus Christ you were a representative of Jesus Christ and so that's why in John 13:20 Jesus says whoever accepts anyone i send accepts me accepts me In Acts 10.41, Peter says that God chose apostles specifically to be witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. The office of an apostle, they were called to vouch for the truth and the meaning of Jesus' work. And so the, the scriptures say that the apostles and what they did was the rock of the church. It was the pillar of the church. It was the foundation of the church, as we saw last week in chapter 2, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so Paul, when he writes this, he is speaking for Jesus. His words carry the same authority as the red letters in the Bible, right? A lot of us have Bibles that have Jesus' Jesus's words in red, well... Paul's words are also the words of Jesus. Paul is speaking on behalf of Jesus. And even Peter, the Apostle Peter, in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, equates the writings of Paul with the rest of the Scriptures. So why am I going on about this? Well, because it's in the text. Paul tells us he's an apostle, and so we need to know what that means. But the application for us today is that you can trust the Bible. You can trust the Bible because this book... There is no difference between this book and what Jesus said during his earthly ministry. The writings of the apostles are the authority of Jesus. They are his authority. And so this letter is God's authority let loose in the world. This is God lighting a fire and letting it catch as he grips people's hearts and tells them about what he's done for them and what he's doing in them and how he's changing people. This is why the Bible has power. This is why people's lives get changed. This is why societies get turned around because of the Bible, because it has the authority of God himself. And so in one sense, we could say that as an apostle, paul this is Paul above us. He is speaking the authority of God into our lives. So when we read the Bible, we can trust it, because God gave his authority to Paul to speak on his behalf. And here's what's neat. If you read this, you see what Paul's doing He's blessing, God's man here is blessing the nations of the world. Okay, look at what he says in verse 1. He was in prison for the Gentiles, right? Gentiles in Paul's day, the world was separated into two people if you were Jewish. You had the Jews and you had everybody else. Okay, so you had the Jews and they called everybody else the Gentiles. You have the Jews and the Gentiles and Paul is in jail. He's in prison because of the Gentiles. Verse 2. He says this God, that God's grace was given to me for you. And then verse 13, if you flip over, it says, Don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. You know what this is? This is the glorious fulfillment of the plan of God. Okay, If you read all the way back in the beginning, when God started this whole thing with Abraham, you remember what he said to Abraham? He said, Abraham, I'm going to call you out of the world, and I'm going to bless you. But not just so that you can walk around and say, hey, I'm blessed. God chose me. <laughs> Look at me. I'm favored. I'm the favorite person on the earth. That God never blesses us simply for our own sake. God blesses us so that we would be a blessing to others. That's what God says in Genesis 12. He says, blessing, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And so God called Abraham, and he called him to be a blessing to the nations. And again, this is the great failure of the Old Testament because Israel went sideways. Because instead of receiving these blessings and sharing them with their neighbors, their their co-workers, their friends, their family members, and and the people that were around them, they hoarded the blessings. They said, no, 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 this is for us. We're special. We're better than everyone else. That was the great failure of Israel. And yet here we see Paul. God is changing Paul. He's reversing the course of history. And now his promises are coming true now god's plan is going forth paul is here he is blessing the nations and he's not just blessing them he's suffering to bless them he's willing to endure suffering so that he can be bring blessing to the nations and i think too that's that that poses a a, or that, that promotes the credibility of paul right he was telling everybody what he saw In Jesus, that he saw Jesus alive from the dead, that he spoke to Jesus, that Jesus really is the Messiah. And he was suffering for that. He gave up his life. Ultimately, he was killed for this faith. He spent his whole life. And I don't think you do that if you're making it up. And so this poses the credibility of Paul. And so this is God's man. This is who he is and what he's doing. Second, the text tells us God's secret. God's secret. This is verse six. Now, to appreciate this, you have to understand a little bit more about Jewish life in the first century. I talked about it briefly already, but Israel at this time, when Paul was there, was it was about two thousand years old. Okay, that's ten times older than the United States. Right, we're about two hundred twenty-five years. Just celebrated a birthday. Um, Israel is two thousand years old, and Israel had this dream. Israel had a dream. They had an expected future that they were looking forward to. And they talked about this dream to each other. They passed this dream down from father to son, from mother to daughter. They passed these things down from generation to generation. You see it in their writings. If you read the Old Testament, you can see this dream coming out. And this dream was that God was going to fix the world by having all of the nations come to Israel and convert. These glorious passages in the Old Testament talk about the nations streaming into the mountain of Zion where God's temple was. That all of the people, that Israel wouldn't have to teach anybody anymore, but everybody would be coming and they would know the Lord. That the nations would come and say, you know what, you were right. Your God is the true God. And they would be converted and their males would all be circumcised and they would keep all the laws of the Old Testament. This was how they were going to bless the nations. And so for 2,000 years, God was ex- or Israel was expecting God to vindicate them, to justify them before the nations of the earth. But that's not what the secret is. God reveals something, and He reveals that Israel had it all wrong. Their dreams were confused. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, The mystery is this, the secret the secret is this, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Israel expected that they were in, this, in their one nation, and all the nations were going to come and crowd in, and everyone was going to believe just like them. But what God did—the secret that is revealed through Paul in this letter—is that what God did was when Jesus came, Israel had gone so sideways that when that they reject, I mean they they were in as much rejection of God as the rest of the world. And so Jesus came, and into the midst of the world, Jesus came, and. The Jewish folks in Jesus' day thought that Jesus was going to bless them and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's get these Gentiles to come in. But what Jesus did was Jesus stood far apart from both of them and said, both Jew and Gentile, you need to repent. You both need to change your ways. Neither one of you has been doing what God called you to do. Neither one of you has been blessing the nations and honoring the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so I'm calling all people everywhere to change your ways and follow me. And so instead of Jesus joining up with Israel and the nation streaming in, Jesus called everybody out to follow him, to follow him. And this was the secret that got Paul in trouble. This was the secret that was upturning 2,000 years of tradition. Paul was preaching that you could come and follow Jesus without changing a thing about you. You didn't have to become Jewish. You didn't have to follow the rituals. You didn't have to do the sacrifices. If you wanted to connect with God, all you had to do was believe in Jesus. And you could stay a Gentile. That's the secret, that the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. They're now members together of one body. Doug preached on this. This is really an an expansion on what Paul says in chapter 2. And so Israel thought the rest of the nations were unclean, they were spiritually dirty, they were unworthy to approach God or stand in His presence. But God's secret is that now because of Jesus, because Jesus comes and He has paid the price for sinners, now Gentiles have the exact same. They're on equal footing with the Jews. There is now no difference. To come to God, all you need is faith in Jesus. Now, this is revolutionary. This is why they hated Paul. This is why they threw him in jail. This is why they were trying to kill him. Because for them, Paul was destroying all that made Israel different. He was saying it's not necessary anymore. And they didn't like it. In the Old Testament, the Gentiles could not inherit. They were second-class citizens at best. But now Paul is saying in Jesus, all of that has changed. No matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what group you have been a part of. Honestly, I think sometimes we commit the same sorts of sins that Israel committed during Paul's day. You know, Maybe it's not, well, maybe it is for some of us, maybe it is ethnic. There are groups of people that you don't think belong in the church. There are orientations that aren't welcome in the church. There are certain sins that if you commit them, well, you're just way out there. What Paul is saying here is that if you believe in Jesus, you are a fellow heir. You have the same status and you get the same rich inheritance. If the first point of God's man is Paul above us, speaking God's truth into our lives as an authority, on this side we have Paul next to us. We are on equal footing with the Apostle Paul. Every blessing that Paul received, you also receive when you believe in Jesus. Paul himself said at the beginning, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so Paul's message, this secret, was a huge confrontation to the Jewish world around him. It was also a huge confrontation to the pagan world around him. This idea of mysteries was also common in the pagan religions. In the, in, in the Roman, Roman religions, the Greek religions, um, the pagan religions also had mysteries. Every religion had secrets that were kept hidden, that weren't told to anybody except for the initiates. And they would keep the truths, the secrets of the mystery of their religion separate until you went through the process of actually becoming part of the religion. Only certain people could know the truth. And those people were exalted and lifted up, and everybody else is made to feel less than, but not with Christianity. With Christianity, everyone is in on the secret. Everyone. It was revealed to the apostles, but they proclaimed it publicly to all. Verse 9 He's here to make it plain to everyone. Okay, so Judaism said you've got a change to come in, paganism said only a select few can know the secrets. And Christianity said, you know, if you believe in Jesus, you have the high status of an inheritance. And it's based on public truths that everyone has access to. You can check it out for yourself. That's the secret. Now, I said that this secret is changing the world. It's fixing. This mystery is fixing and shows how God is fixing everything that's wrong with the world. Well, have you connected those dots yet? Can you see how this secret delivers all of that? Do you see how knowing this secret makes a difference in your life yet? we got to think about these things. When we read the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, what does this really mean? How does this apply to us? Is, it, if, is this really the secret that's going to fix what's wrong with San Diego and Tijuana? Well, to hit that, we need to go to our third point. We've seen God's man, God's secret, and now third God's plan. And this is verses 10 to 12. God is fixing what's wrong with the world, and he's using this secret to do it. One of the most radical things about Christianity in the first century was that it was the most diverse, inclusive, friendly, and dignifying religions in the world. Okay? Diverse, inclusive, friendly, and dignifying. Christianity joined people together that never, ever came together. In the church, slaves and masters were on got along together. Women were given a voice in the church, whereas they weren't outside. The poor were honored by the rich. Social outcasts were welcomed in. The early church was radical, and it had power because of its racial diversity, its economic diversity, its social diversity. There were disparate groups coming together that didn't come together anywhere else in the world and anywhere else in human history. This is what made the church so powerful. Now, how was it possible? What was it about the church that made, that, had, that that caused that reality to, to happen? Well, there were two convictions that led to this. First, The church believed this secret. They believed what Paul said. The church was convinced that if you believe in Jesus, you are an heir of God and a full member of the family of God. No one is favored over anyone else. Think about that for a second. Our society is based on hierarchy in lots of different ways. Work, family, home, Social networks, they're based on certain people with a certain amount of of capital, of power, and influence. And they use that, and you kind of have to bow down to it. When you walk into the church, in fact, take, just take a look around for a second. Just look at the people around you. In the eyes of God, there is no difference between any of you. And in the church, when you come... The church was convinced that this was true, and so they acted like it. The church was convinced that if you named the name of Jesus and you believed in him, that there was no difference from you. it didn't matter where you came from, it didn't matter what you did during the week, it didn't matter anything about you. The truth that you believed in Jesus made you on equal, gave you equal footing with everyone else. And then second, the church believed that everyone needed grace. Everyone needed grace. Look at what Paul says about himself in verse 8. Paul says, although I am less than the least of all God's people. This was the attitude of people in the church. This is why the church was as radically diverse as it was. This is why the church was as powerful as it was, because it was filled with people that knew that they weren't in God's family because of anything that they had done. They weren't there because they were better than anybody else. The church was convinced that they were in God's family because of grace, because of a gift, because God was kind and loving to them. And if the only thing that separated them from the church was grace, then there is no other. There is no other, with a capital O in quotes. There is no group of people out there who are other from us. There is no group of people in the world back then, in the world today, that is any different from the group of us who are here and are believing in Jesus. Paul says, I was the least of all of God's people but this grace was given to me. Dick preached about this a couple of weeks ago. For by grace you've been saved. And it's a gift. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. And I think it's interesting, if God can take the least of all of his people and change the world, I mean, this shows us that nobody is too far, right? I mean, again, that's the conviction. Nobody is too far for God to reach. Nobody is too far for you to reach. I mean, what's interesting here is that your calling may not be to take the message of Jesus to all the nations of the earth, but God has called every one of you to love a particular community of people. Right? There's people at your work. There's people in your neighborhood. There's people maybe in your family. And you are maybe one of the only Christians that they know. You are their only access to the mystery that this gift can be theirs. What are you doing now to love the people in your life? What are you doing to share the love of God and to show the love of God to the people that are around you? The church goes sideways. When it begins to talk about us versus them. But when we're gripped by these two truths, that there is no difference, that everybody need, and that everybody needs grace, when you're gripped by those things, when those things sink deeply into your heart, your attitude changes, the way that you think about other people changes what's amazing is that it actually frees you when you're gripped by these two truths that you have an inheritance that is on par with the greatest of the apostles but that you only have that inheritance because of the grace of God and because of your faith in Jesus when you soak on those things and you let those things filter into your mind into your heart and you begin to treat other people as though, as though those things are true you're set free you're set free, and you're set free to be radically different and radically the same as the people around you. You've got to be both. As a church, we need to be radically the same and radically different from the people around us. We have to be radically the same because, honestly, most people don't know. Most non believers, non-Christians, they don't know what their life would look like if they became a Christian, and they need to see it in you. They need to see what does life look like. And so when you show people around you that, in a lot of ways, the hopes, the dreams, the fears, the the joys, the sorrows that you have are pretty parallel with what they have. They begin to recognize, wow, you're not that much different from me. We need to be radically the same. We need to care about the same things. We need to care about the same causes. I mean, we want to have, have great communities. We want to have great families. We want to have great jobs. We want to have fulfilling jobs. We want to feel like life means something. right? These are all things that we have in common. And when we connect with people like that, we show that we're radically the same. But then we're also radically different. Because oftentimes we're happier. Oftentimes we have more joy. Oftentimes we're more thoughtful, we're less selfish, we're quicker to forgive. We're quicker to look to trust that God's got a bigger purpose in our lives. And when we manifest those differences, as we seek to be radically the same, you know, as we manifest the differences, then what we're doing is we're showing the power of God at work in our lives. And what's amazing is that we're showing that we have an inheritance And it's not based on us, right? We have an inheritance, but it's God's gift to us. And that's what changes us. And so that then opens doors when you begin to share with people with whom you're beginning to bond and build relationships. When you care about what they're going through and you're asking them how they're doing. When you're taking an interest in their lives and you're actually caring when they share it with you. When you connect with them and say, you know what, I feel that way like this in my life. You're making connections. And then you have those conversations, you'll get the chance to say, you know what, this is what works for me. Or, this is how I handle it. You know what, I, I really do have a faith. I've seen God come through in this situation for me. Or I'm trusting. I, I don't see that God's coming through yet, but I'm trusting He's going to come through because He's come through so many times in the past. When you say, you know what, this, or here's some wisdom that may help you deal with this. As you do that, that puts God's power on display. And what it does is it actually affects, it causes the plan of God. If you read the book of Ephesians, there's this kind of weird phrase that reoccurs. It's in chapter 1, it's in chapter 2, it's in chapter 3, and then it's in chapter 4 and 5, and guess what, it's also in chapter 6. It's this idea of the eternal purpose of God. God has this eternal purpose. There's something that he's doing. It's this plan, right? It's this plan that God is working to fix what's wrong with the world. And do you know what that plan is? In Ephesians 1, it says it's the plan to sum up all things in Christ. It's to bring people together. The dynamo at the heart of the universe, the thing that is most right about the way that God is working in the world, is the power of reconciliation. It's the power of bringing different people together and creating genuine relationships that cross over boundaries, true understanding, real community, genuine care that goes back and forth. The energy of reconciliation is the power of God that is fixing what's wrong. This is a little bit simplistic, but I think that you could probably trace everything that's wrong with the world at some point to a broken relationship. Okay, now the solutions aren't necessarily that simple. It's a lot more complicated than just to say, oh, well, we just need to get along, right? But the way that we put this power, this dynamo that God has unleashed, is by walking in these truths. It's by understanding that, you know what, there's no difference between anybody. There are no, There is no group of other people out there. I mean, what's neat is that if you look across the world, every single kind of person is in the church. Every single, there is no kind of person out there. I mean I think there might still be some unreached peoples, you know that we that the gospel hasn't reached yet, but every kind of person has made their way into the church. And we have Jesus in I mean it's amazing. We all have an inheritance. We all have the same inheritance and we're all in the church by grace. And so let these things fill you own these truths and remember before we said that paul was just the right person that god needed to change the rest of the world right and paul began his ministry well i want to tell you this morning there are people in your life right now and you are just the right person for them Okay? And this is true. You have Christian people in your life and non-Christian people. There are people in your life, and you are just the right person to help them understand what God is doing in the world, what God is doing in their world. You are the right person to love them, to care for them, to help them see how Jesus is working in you so that you can show them how Jesus might work in them. This is the power of reconciliation that makes all people equal and that sums up everything together under the love and grace and authority of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you want this power, if you want this inheritance, if you want to know this reconciliation, then you just need to take these two convictions to yourself. You just need to say, you know what, I believe them. First, so first you have to admit that you that you need grace. You've to admit that you're like all of us, even Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, without the grace of God, Paul was a murdering. He was a murderer. He was someone at war with God. He was unbelievably bitter and angry. But God's grace changed him, and it can change you. And so you acknowledge your need for God's help. And Jesus, that's why he went to the cross. He died on the cross so that God could forgive us of our sins, and give us His grace. And then second, after you believe that, you've got to believe that what the Word says here, that you receive an inheritance. The moment that you believe, God adopts you into His family, and you are on equal status with every other Christian in the world, and you have all the blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. If you're ready to believe in Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. So let's all, let's all bow our heads as we close our time. Let me lead you. If you want to commit yourself to Jesus, just pray this prayer with me. Father in heaven, I need you. God, I am not able to be what I'm supposed to be on my own. I have failed just like Israel, just like the church so often has failed. And I need your forgiveness, and I trust that Jesus died for my sins. Please give me that inheritance. Please give me the blessings that you promised to all who believe in him. And help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, for the rest of us, God, we pray that you would let these truths be unleashed even further in our hearts and in our lives. Use us as we we share this love with each other and with the world around us. Give us wisdom to build strong bonds and, and strong relationships with the people around us so that we can show them that we really are radically the same and radically different because of your grace. And we'll give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.